G'day and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, the world's number one dedicated spearfishing podcast. My name's Turbo and today's episode is number 72. That's right, there's uh, 72 of these things and uh, you can enjoy the whole back catalogue on iTunes. So if this is your first episode, you've got hours ahead of you. Lucky you. They're all fantastic, one better than the next. Alrighty, before I get into uh, telling you too much about today's episode, a couple of quick shout-outs. David Clooning, g'day to you. Duncan Henderson, good luck in Tahiti, mate. I assume you're there right now working your way through all manner of pelagic fish. Uh, g'day to Lincoln Smith, mate. Thanks for the review. We really, really appreciate that and glad that we can help out with the show. A big g'day to my mate, Benny Harper. We've been doing this for three years. Benny has finally listened to his first episode. Good on you, Benny. Really appreciate the support. Alrighty. Now, today's episode is with Matt Madison, and it is very, very bittersweet because poor old Matt is a keen abalone diver. He's the president of the NorCal Underwater Underwater Hunters Club. I believe it's a club. Maybe it's just a forum. I'm not sure. Either way, he'll uh, talk about that later in the episode. I can't quite remember. But, uh, yeah, he's he's a passionate abalone diver, and today's episode is all about abalone. Now, the only problem with that is Matt is from Northern California, and unfortunately, the uh, Californian Fish and Game Commission have decided to put a total ban on abalone, uh, recreational abalone fishing for the year of 2018. So Matt, along with all these other fellow divers up there in Northern California, have had their fishery stripped away from them. That's a very controversial uh, decision, and it's, as you can imagine, it's annoyed a lot of people. I mean, if you can imagine that your fishery had a ban on it and you could no longer go spearfishing in your area, you'd be pretty upset. Now, they base it on uh, science and uh, sampling and things, well, you know, a bunch of different things that I've, I've read on the interwebs but i'm not going to go into that too much because i'll probably get shot somewhere so um if you want to do some research google that but uh it's a very controversial decision and if you would like to know more from uh the mouths of some very very good divers and abalone divers in northern california get on to the norcal underwater hunters website just google that it'll pop up um it's a great forum plenty of great advice there for um spiros and abalone divers alike unfortunately you can't go this year and unfortunately this episode was recorded or maybe three four months ago um we're batching some episodes so that we you know had enough episodes for the year while shrek was away and uh since then the fishery's been closed so there's a ton of value in it but you're gonna have to wait till next year However, if you are somewhere else in the world, this is still a great episode to listen to because, uh, you know, plenty of great general advice for chasing abalone uh, that you could use or adapt to your part of the world. So, um, yeah, let's get right into it. Let's throw it over to Shrek and and Maddie Madison uh, up there in Northern California. Enjoy. If you're in need of some new equipment, maybe a new gun, some fins, or anything else you can think of, check out spearfishing.com.au. That's the online store for Adreno. They have got a huge range of gear, anything you could ever think of. And not only that, if you use the code NoobSpiro at checkout, so go to checkout, it'll say enter code, put in NoobSpiro, and you'll save yourself $20 on all purchases over $200. So do yourself a favour, get on to spearfishing.com.au, save yourself some money and get some great gear. Today's podcast brought to you by Audible. Now, you can check out uh, Audible. It's basically audiobooks. So if you like the New Spirit podcast, you're probably going to like listening to a book. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash to get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Now, some of the audiobooks that Turbo and I both like uh, the 4-Hour Series by Tim Ferriss. Uh, there's the 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Workweek, the 4-Hour Shift. They're all good. His latest book is uh, Tools of Titans. It's unfortunately not an audio version yet, but definitely check out uh, the 4-Hour Workweek. It's friggin' hilarious. I also would like to listen to The Undisputed Truth by uh, Mike Tyson. I think that would be a great uh, read. And also Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. It's a 
it's the simple science of building the ultimate male body. And uh, I definitely need that. But uh, you can check this out. Get a book for free. Uh, just pump it in audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. Give it a blast. Check it out. Support the Noob Spiro podcast. All right. So g'day, Noob Spiro community. Welcome to the show today. We've got Matt Madison joining us from the North Cal, North Cal Underwater Hunters. Uh, he recently got in touch with us. Uh, he's another He's another one of our, oh, he's, he's maybe a new listener from California. We, we've got a few over there. Surely so welcome to the show, new. Matt. Surely Matt's not a new <laughs> listener. He's got to be a fan from way back. Surely. Oh yeah, I've, I've been <laughs> oh. following. I've been following every little spear fishing podcast that I can for since they've started doing these things. So, oh, uh, okay. when Jim, when Jim, uh, Big Jim did his, it was no surprise to me. It was a surprise to see a fellow NorCal Spiro on the show, but uh, the show's no surprise. I've followed it for a while now. Matt, oh, wicked. That's nah. awesome. Would you would you go so far as to say it's the world's number one spearfishing dedicated podcast? <laughs> uh, at this point, I'd say absolutely. <laughs> yes! yes. Thank God for, yes. for very little competition. I love it. All right. You're the second person to say that to Turbo after his mum, Matt, so thanks for that. You've got to love a win by default, don't you? Jeez, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a win's yeah. a win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt. So you're diving out of there in North California. You're also the president of the Underwater Hunters Club. But um, tell us a bit about how you got started and um, sort of where are your roots with spearfishing? Where, do, where does your passion come from? Well, my passion comes from uh, actually abalone diving. I started doing that with my dad when I was five years old. Um, kind of a family tradition, just going out to the coast, abalone, uh, gathering abalone. And as I grew up, I started uh, seeing fish as I was searching for the abalone and Started carrying a little uh, mare spear gun, then upgraded to an AB biller, you know, and I'd shoot the little perch and the, the other various little rockfishes I stumbled across them. And then uh, probably about my early 30s, I got real serious about the spear fishing when I met up with a couple of friends that were more into spear fishing than the abalone diving, and it just progressed from there. Okay, cool. How old are you now, Matt? I'm turning 41 this year. Okay, cool. All right, so you've been, you've been at it a little while. What are some... Um, so you got sort of more seriously into it in your 30s. What were some of the big obstacles that you started sort of encountering as you got more serious? Uh, pushing my boundaries, learning how to stock fish, learning what fish were out there. I mean, uh, there's so much to learn, how to dive properly, uh, taking free dive classes, how to hold your breath properly, you know, proper mm. training, how to be a safe buddy to the guys you're diving with out the water as well. All right, so so taking on depth was like a significant obstacle for you. Um, did you did you do a course in the early days? I've actually taken two courses. I highly recommend taking a course to any diver, a new diver, or even seasoned diver. If you haven't taken one, just because you've been diving 20, 30 years and you think you know your boundaries, take that course, man. It, it, it teaches you a lot of things. It teaches you how the body works. It teaches you how to become a safe partner to the guys you're out there with. I can't mm. say enough about it. So who did you do your course with and what were some of the biggest takeaways you had from it? I took, like I said, I took two courses. First course I wasn't too pleased with, didn't gather too much from it. The second course I took was through, I believe, FFI, an instructor named Chris Cortez. And he just really emphasized the safety, the breathing techniques, uh, recovery breathing, and all that. That really made me a safer a diver within my own abilities, gave me confidence as well as how to be, like I said, be a safe diver to help somebody that's had a shallow water blackout, what to do. So when that mm. situation happens, you're prepared and you don't panic. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so um, you started chasing abs with your father. Was was he a commercial diver for Abalone, or or did it, was he just recreational, but he did it all the time? Just recreational, no commercial, just, just family tradition. We'd make annual pilgrimages out to the coast. Every year, big campouts, and then yeah. just kept doing it every weekend until the season closed. And then, you know, it just yeah. became a father son bonding thing. Yeah, away cool. From the, house, the mom and the job. <laughs> cool, cool. It's a great, I think it's a great introduction into the underwater world, especially for young ones. And uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to digging more into the abalone fishery sort of side of things in our veterans' vault with you later in uh, the interview. But um, did, did, when, when you got started, um, so you sort of talked about some of the obstacles that you had. Where did you make buddies and and dive friends? How did you, how did you sort of get involved more in the community side of things and uh, and meet people? 
Well, the way it started out is I was actually got on the internet. I found this one dive forum. Uh, I'll leave the name out because things kind of went south with it. Let's just say they ended up being more of a uh, shoot with your camera, not with your gun kind of group of people. And that's nothing against those. I mean, that's if that's your enjoyment, great. Everybody has their pleasure in the ocean. Mine was going out hunting fish and hunting abalone. And we kind of had our falling out. And there was really nothing at that time out here besides another site named Spearboard. And that was really a SoCal-based group. So I created okay. NorCal Underwater Hunters, and that kind of started the community here, and that's where I networked and met a lot of friends. And then other than that, just being out on the coast, bumping into yeah. somebody, oh, you got a spear gun, you just fellow diver, you start talking, and next you know you're diving together the following weekend. Yeah, cool. And that's kind of what NorCal's about. We're a community. Uh, we're very friendly to one another. It's just about sharing in the joy of the ocean and what we're doing out there. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have got a good bunch of blokes up there. We had a cracker interview with Jim a while ago and uh such a nice bloke and he gave us a really good introduction to some of the species and you know the water temperance temps and variations there in your sort of area um when you when you take new guys out um what fish are you targeting what are the first sort of two or three species um new guys might start targeting in your area in my area we typically with a newer diver what we target is simply what we'd be like the black rock fish the blue rock fish um Black and yellows, uh, the, the shallower species, the midwater column fish, the okay. stuff that it's a little bit easier to shoot, and they're a little mm. bit more plentiful, they're a little bit more round, and it, it's like anything. You want somebody to go out and enjoy themselves and get something the first time to feed off of that, and then they'll keep going more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you're just you to find a nice protective cove up here and pick a good day because. Unlike Jim and them down in the Monterey, uh, Central California area, we don't get quite as many good days as they do and as okay. good as visits they do. <laughs> I've, I've, okay. I've heard you're a lot tougher up there than um, Jim and his mates down there um, in the Monterey area. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to try to go there. <laughs> It's kind of like watching Game of Thrones, you know. You guys are proper northerners, you know. <laughs> I think you called him a central coast guy. So where whereabouts on the coast are you? How far north of Jim? I'm about two and a half, three hours north of Jim. So we're okay. a little bit further up the coast, a little bit more rugged, a little bit more exposed. But hey, Monterey has its bad areas as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's they definitely get definitely more dive days than we do up here. Okay, are the species much? Much different um, up where you are? Not too much different. Monterey uh, does have a few other species that we don't have, like sheephead uh, and a couple of other fish I can't recall off the top of my head right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, basically the same. Do you, do you guys get more ling cod because it's a bit colder up there? Oh, absolutely. I think we get a little bit more ling cod because we got lesser fish days, even though we have a commercial fishery up here. Yep. It's it's rougher you got less t- chances of going out and getting them okay yeah, nice. what about the uh the monkey face pricklebacks you, you get them up there they get them up there I, i'm not a huge fan of them uh okay i'm not on that that, that thing but jim seems to be all over him he's got them <laughs> things dialed in and it's, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a race between him and his mentor going back and forth for the state record it's been fun to watch yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we gave him a nickname. It might be a bit long though. It was the uh, monkey face prickleback bane. So probably need to shorten it a bit. Turbo will come up with something. So Turbo, I'll leave it with you. All right. Um, let, let's go. Let's go into a memorable fish that you've caught, Matt. Uh, what's What's a really memorable catch for you? Uh, my most memorable catch, I'd have to say, was probably my thirty-one and a half pound lean cod. Ooh, just, shy of, uh, just a little over thirty-nine inches, just shy of forty. Um, dropped down one day in about 32 foot of water, was swimming along the bottom, not seeing a whole lot. And I just kind of looked to my left and there's a pile of rocks there and I don't really at first see much. And then as I kind of focus, I see some lips and then I see two big eyeballs and I proceeded to just turn the gun and pop a shot into them thinking it was like a 15 pound ling. And this thing came out like a mad dog and just... The fight was on, t- tussing and tossing, rolling in the water, and 
It was a blast. Came up and just looked at my buddy and said, oh, don't look. You're going to be mad. (laughs) (laughs) But it was definitely a memorable fish. It's it's one I have pictured up. I did it up on a metal frame. I got it up on the wall. Yeah, nice. Nice nice, one. Was it it blue-fleshed like uh, the famous lingcod of... um, Oh, no, not that million bazillion hit lean yeah. pod that Jim got. Mine was just a nice, good golden dragon, as we call them. Yeah, nice one. Are they are they your premier eating fish up there? Is that the is that the What's that? Is that the premium eating fish for you guys up there? The ling? Um, up in north, it's I would say that or the vermilion. It's all kind of kind of close. It's I mean everyone's got their favorite. Some people like the capazone. Some people prefer the rockfish, vermilion, and black rockfish. It's, to me, it's all a toss-up. I'm sure guys are going to crucify me for this, but rockfish is rockfish. <laughs> yeah, it's that cool. Okay. Mate, okay. I wanted to ask you... It's not like we're shooting a, shooting a yellowtail or, or a halibut or anything that's really delicious. Yeah, fair cool. Yeah. So we, we touched a little bit uh, before. You, you talked about uh, how friendly divers in the NorCal area are and you're, you're a community. I just wanted to ask, how is spearfishing in that part of the world received by the wider community? Um, for the most part, it's received very well. The only part that really seems to be any tension with us bureaus is just recently we've opened up here in California in certain areas a uh, striped bass spearfishing fishery in the rivers. And there's a little tension between the hook and line guys and the spiro guys on, on that front. But uh, it's slowly working itself out. It's just going to take guys got to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. so you started this stripe, this striped sea bass fishery is now open to you what are the the sizes on your side of the coast um compared to uh so you're uh on the they so there's you get them both on the east and the west coast is there a difference in size and are they more prolific in i believe so yeah i believe so i i'm not a big striped bass guy i don't like swimming in the rivers um but i do know the minimum size is 22 inches i did do it once to get the uniform off my belt and shot two little 23 inches <laughs> yeah, yeah. but <laughs> you know just to say i've done it once you know bucket list kind of thing yeah. um mm-hmm. once again you're the jim's the one to talk to that's another one of his passions he's real big into that and he's got them dialed in uh he shoots them in the ocean and the rivers yeah, right. Right. there's not much he doesn't shoot, I don't think. <laughs> God bless America, guys. We're joined by Spearing Magazine today. Isn't that right, Turbo? Absolutely. You've done it again. USA. USA. <laughs> God bless America. Now, if you love America and you love spearfishing, <laughs> get hold of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Hoorah. That's all the American stuff I know. Semper Fi. Chevrolet. <laughs> Detroit City. Look, guys, the magazine is way better than Turbo's American accent. Probably better than mine, too. You can um, check out, check them out on social media, actually. Head along Facebook or Instagram, YouTube, whatever's your thing. Find Spearing Magazine and join those folks. They, they put up some wicked photos and stories. Check them out, spearingmagazine.com. G'day guys, if you're new to spearfishing, I highly recommend listening to our episode Freediving for Spearfishing with Pete Ryder. Pete uh, is an entrepreneur and an excellent freedive instructor and he has come up with two great courses, the 10 meter freediver and the 5 minute freediver. I've used the 5 minute freediver to increase my bottom time, found it incredibly useful for my trip to the Coral Sea and I cannot recommend it highly enough. His other course, the 10 meter freediver, is a great resource for those just starting out that literally want to get to 10 meters and this course will help you learn proper breathing technique and some of the safety aspects associated with freediving. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 20% on all of Pete's courses. He's put together this deal just for listeners of the show. That's at howtofreedive.com. Use the code NoobSpiro. All right, hunting technique, Matt. What's your favorite hunting technique and how do you apply it effectively? My favorite technique is First of all, I try to find good conditions, uh, days with minimal surge. Um, the big fish don't like to come in and get beat up. If it's surging and rough, fish are going to be out deep, 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 mm. 80, 100 feet, way beyond my ability. It's just like anything. Do you want to go out and get tussled and tossed around in the rocks? Heck no. I look for calm days. And then the other one is when I get to the bottom, I just try to calm myself and move very slow, methodically, 
I've always taken the approach. My mentor always taught me that, hey, if you're down there kicking around like a madman, moving frantically, fish pick up on that unnatural movement, that unnatural, that new thing in their environment, you know. So what does that look like? Um, so give us a species you might target and where you're trying to be natural and how this might be successful. Um, to me, uh, what I just try to do is I just try to hit the bottom and I methodically smoke slowly, just kind of pull myself across the bottom. Go a couple feet, stop, observe the area, try to find Because up here, most of our, like the lean cod, you'll find in holes. Okay. You'll occasionally find them out free swimming or laying out, what we call sunbathing. But typically, you're going to find the big ones laying up in a hole. And that's why we dive with flashlights. And I just move across the bottom very slowly, shine into each hole. Even the smallest hole can hold a big wing. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just the biggest thing I can say is go slow. Uh, when you've looked at an area, scan back across it again. Just because you went across it once with your eyes didn't mean you saw everything that was there to be seen, if that makes sense. There's been plenty of times where I've looked at a ledge, didn't see anything, and then looked back and went, oh, I just looked there. What the heck was that? <laughs> mm. I, I think I think we talk a lot of the time with hunting technique about different you know approaches we can have, but your observation's a good one, you know, like... I think seeing the fish is half the is more than half the battle, you know, because once you once you can see it, then you can plan an approach. You can work out how you're going to hunt it. But seeing it is kind of half the battle. A lot of the you watch a new spear and they don't even see the fish uh, until it's too late. A lot of the time, you need to see it early and often so you can plan how you're going to prepare to hunt it. Exactly that, and that's where that coming in and moving slow methodically comes in because. You can plan your, your 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 shot because that's one of the things that makes spearfishing great. Is one, we we're just the most sustainable form of uh, catching there is. We pick what fish we want to shoot, and we can strategically place where we typically most times where we want our shot. Mm-hmm. So, and goes back to once again, if you're down there moving around real fast, real frantically, that's not a natural movement. That's not a natural thing to that environment and that fish. So it's going to instantly put that fish on skittish retreat, where if yeah. you stay slow, methodical, it, it doesn't even take a concern with you. Sometimes it'll even turn and swim right into you. Hey, what's this new thing? I, I liked how you said, um, you know, spearfishing is the most sustainable sort of fishing. I, I completely agree. And I think in spearfishing, Turbo is the most sustainable <laughs> spearo. There we go. Because he barely ever shoots a fish, so... <laughs> Like, that is sustainable, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how sustainable it is for his ego, but, like, for fish populations, very sustainable. I'm, uh, but, once again, it goes back to, there's been days where I've had some of my greatest dives going out to go spearfishing, and I never shot a fish. Could have pulled yeah. a bit trigger on plenty of fish, but just being in the environment sometimes is all it takes to have a good day. Yeah, no, you're, you're fully right, and Turbo always has a good day. You're right. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, the, the love. The love runs deep. Yeah. Oh, it's much more I, fun I, to I, shoot I, something. Jeez. And uh, T- Turbo's reasonably successful, Matt. That's why he doesn't really take offence to it. Um, all right, next part of the show, toughest situation. Was that um, a backhanded so, compliment at the end of that? Did you was, just give was, me... It was, it was did, did you It kind of was, wasn't it? Yeah. But you <laughs> like how we put, he's reasonably successful. Reasonably. <laughs> uh, needed, it needed an adverb. <laughs> it needed, though, right? I reckon, yeah. I reckon you must miss me, Shrek, over there in China. You've been oh, like way oh, nicer dude. than normal. Normally about this far, and there's yeah. like six jokes on how bad of a diver I am, but you've only managed three in a backhanded compliment. It's good. <laughs> I've been seeing all the all the photos you've been sending back to me. I'm getting nothing over here. It's so. good when your mates that you hold their fish. I tell you, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, next part of the show: toughest situation. So, you've been out on the ocean for quite a few years, Matt. Um, what's one of the toughest situations you've faced, and uh, what did you learn from it? I have to say, one of my toughest situations was uh, probably watching one of my buddies almost die. Okay. We were out scallop diving one day, and we got into an area that was a little, uh, I guess we got a little bit bigger than our britches should have been, and got a little overconfident doing what we were doing, and got into an area, and he got himself into some danger, and it, it was, there was a panic moment, you know, what to do, you're watching your best friend, kind of in a situation where he looks like he might be dying, mm-hmm. and there was that kind of a deer in a headlights moment, and then at that point, Training kicked in, and that's where it goes back to those classes. 
knowing what to do and how to handle a situation. And I went in, jumped, first thing I did was dump my weight belt, jumped in my kayak and proceeded to paddle into this washy area uh, amongst the rocks, rocks and uh, tossing my unloaded spear gun that was attached to a float line, had him grab onto that, wrap the float line around my arm and paddle him out like a madman. It was mm-hmm. quite the experience uh, for both of us and uh, humbling. Yeah, okay. Well, so, so what happened? So it was this big surgy cove or something? What it was is when we're up here on the North Coast, when we go scallop diving, we tend to dive around the big wash rocks and uh, pinnacles. The scallops are filter feeders. So us, they like the real surgy water, and we were in there free diving. And next you know, the set came in and uh, wiped their asses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thankfully, right. I was on the outer edge of it. He was on the inside edge. And uh, like I said, it was one of the most scary moments I've ever been through. I mean, I, for a moment, I thought I was watching my best friend and my dad buddy die, you know. But mm. training and staying calm prevailed and that's a big part of diving is not losing your cool and that just comes with time in the water and training i don't mean mm. to be repetitive but that's, yeah. i can't preach it enough so so did he get wiped out on a rock or did he get oh yeah he, he, big... he got washed through a channel up onto a rock then back then back into the rock smashed his mask broke his mask it, oh, it was yeah. it was intense Shit. yeah, yeah. And, um, it was like it went from dead calm to probably a 10-foot set just rolling in through where it went from like 20 foot of water to shallow pinnacles, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you um, and, and you're, you were both kayak diving? Uh, yeah, we do. at that time we did a lot of kayak diving. They, they really opened up to a lot of ground. It's a great platform to dive from. Mm. We paddled to this remote spot that we knew held a lot of big rock scallops. I mean, like six to nine inch rock scallops, which are trophy size out here. And uh, we just got a little scout fever and a little bit bigger than our britches. And it was very scary, but very uh, humbling and a learning experience. Yeah, and like yeah. you say, the, the, tra- the training kicked in and, and, and helped out. All right. Um, next part of the show is Veterans Vault. So this is where we sort of ask our guests to take us deep into an area of their expertise. And we wanted to chat with you about one of your biggest passions. It's um, abalone chasing. We might ask a little bit about lobsters there as well. But, um, I mean, tell us a little bit about abalone. Um, what, what are their size? What's the season? Where do you find them? Uh, right now, the season seem to, uh, the regulations and the season seem to be changing yearly right now due to several situations going on with uh, political fishing politics, which is a whole other show you could probably do onto that tangent. Um, but this year, our current season is, uh, they allow us to take three abalone a day, 12 for the year. Um, season runs from May till July 1st, closes for the month of July, and then reopens from uh, August till October this year. Okay, uh, that se- it seems, seems far too complicated. complicated. Oh, it gets better. It gets so much better. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have a size limit of minimum size limit of seven inches. You cannot go out to pursue to pursue or hunt abalone before 8 a.m. in the morning. Mm. And then once you have caught your abalone and you either got back into your boat or back to shore, you now have to immediately pull out your abalone report card that they require you to have along with a fishing license. And on this report card, you have to write on the top the date the time, the location, and then you have to duplicate that same information onto a lower part of the report card onto an individual tag, cut that tag off, and zip tie it to each abalone. So one tag for an abalone for your 12. And then at the end of the year, you got to mail that all in. <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, okay, that's too, that's too, that's too much. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like... Oh, now look, I, I, I don't have a problem with regulating fishing. I, I think it's a great idea. But, but, but like when it gets like that, it's just a bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, uh, that's just that's California for you. The bureaucracy is getting, it's, it's ridiculous. But did, did Arnold have anything to do with that? What's that? Did Arnold have anything to do with that while he was going? Oh, no, this has been going in on, on an, an ongoing battle way before Arnold, and it will be after him. It's just <laughs> but have, California politics. <laughs> having said okay. all that, and it's uh, extremely complicated, um, how, how is the abalone fishery faring? Are you, are you seeing 
you know, consistent catches and good numbers and size of abalone? Absolutely, yes. Um, uh, we do have certain areas right now that are showing signs of distress, but we also have certain areas that are showing very healthy fat abalone, and it's uh, due to a fact that we've had a management system here that Fish and Game will even say themselves as a Maserati, Cadillac fishery, overprotective management plant. And that's what kind of caused some of these problems that we're dealing with now is this overzealous, overprotected plan to numbers that are unrealistic. And yeah, there's things going on out there, but we're still pulling in. Everybody's still getting their limits. There's still big, fat, healthy abalone. Guys are pulling in seven to nine inch abalone. And there's still guys like myself that take elusively 10 inch abalone. Um, it's a robust fishery. I think we're fine uh, myself and, a lot of people do it and love it. Yeah, excellent. <clears throat> we're undergo we're undergoing uh, a, a fair amount of change in Australia at the moment. There's a big consultation plan out at the moment. I recently filled in an email and sent it off, uh, but they're finalising some plans for the marine parks in Australia. And I mean, it, it's good to see the process at work, but um, but obviously, you guys are. I, I, it hasn't helped up there. Um, it's it's great to see a management, but but not like by the sounds of what you have. I don't know. If, it doesn't sound very effective. No, it's it's it's, it's a flawed at best methodology. And mm. thankfully, right now we're in the process this year and next year of designing a new fishery management plan. And for once, we've actually got some guys and people involved that are divers that mm -hmm. stick their hundred heads underwater and actually are seeing what's going on that have a passion and a personal take in this fishery. So mm. there's light at the end of the tunnel, if you know what I mean. And I think things will get better. We spoke to a guy uh, not too long ago, Grant Laidlaw in Scotland, and he he actually helps. He's the treasurer for a marine park over there. It's the largest marine park in the UK, I believe. And he, he, he really sort of talked to our listeners about getting involved with citizen science initiatives. Is that, do you, do, is that something you guys have in your area where, you know, like Spiros can get in and survey, you know, a specific dive location and give an indication of proper numbers? And so that, that way the actual fisheries can manage it according to science and not just sort of some, some greenies idea of utopia? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're working towards is allowing more citizen science. As of right now, there's a there's fishing game that does their surveys. You have a couple other organizations like the Nature Conservancy and Reef Check that that are uh, recognized groups to do surveys, but very limited citizen science. And that's one of the things that we're really pushing for over this next fishery is to get more citizen science and mm. get the divers involved. And I mean, we're the first line of people out there. We're seeing what's going on in all areas. Mm -hmm. It's because you do your index sites and you do your surveys at the eight heavily dive sites that are listed on the report card, that doesn't give you an overall status of what the whole fishery is doing, if that mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, is there just one type of abalone uh, there, or is there more than one? We have, in California, I think there's eight total, but the only one you're allowed to take anymore is the red abalone. Okay. All the others are protected. Okay. All right, and... Um... Okay, I guess so. You're going out and you're getting your three abalone. Uh, you bring them in. What do you What do you do with it after you bring it into the beach? Uh, first thing I do is tag it legally. Tag it, like I said, yep. with that report card. Because uh, you don't do that, you're looking at a big ticket, anywhere from a thousand to eighteen hundred dollars, and potential wow. loss of your fishing license for one year. Wow. So, and it's very stringent that you fill it out immediately upon water. Once that's done, I usually go back to camp or home. Uh, when I'm not eating it that night, I wrap it up and put it in the freezer. If I'm eating it, I'll prepare it one of many ways. I mean, there's countless ways to cook abalone. I mean, uh, my favorite way is the old-fashioned way. Pound it, bread it, throw it in an egg wash, and fry it up. You know, kind of like chicken fried steak. That way you have it for sandwiches the next day with some tartar sauce and white bread. Nothing better. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That sounds good already. I'll I am coming tomorrow. <laughs> you know, but yeah. like I said, everybody's got their secret way or their best way. I think, way I think we've jumped the gun here. Yeah. We've jumped the gun here. We're already cooking the abalone. How do well, we... We always get to my priority. Oh, my priority. <laughs> <laughs> He's just the guy on the beach. He just wants to eat them. 
All right, but we're going to let's go back to actually catching these things because Shrek's already started the deep fryer. All right, so if we um, <laughs> let, let, let's talk about actually where you'll find them, like in terms of conditions, are they, are they in close on the rocks? Are they on the sheltered side, the surf side? What do you look for when you're, when you're hunting abalone, the dangerous? Um, abalone can range anywhere from the intertidal zone all the way out to about 50 feet. Myself, okay. I, I tend to dive anywhere from about 5 feet to about 30 feet for them. They tend to be in crevices, on the back side of the rocks, um, like any other animal, they don't want to be exposed to the open ex- open and swell. Uh, we get twenty foot swells up here in the wintertime, and nothing can wow. sustain that. Yeah, nothing can sustain the power and the energy of those. So, typically, like you were saying, they tend to be on the backside of the rock or wedged down into a crack, and that's where once again diving with a flashlight and float lines come in very handy. So, do the lobster lobster in the area predate upon abalone? No, actually, our lobster are loca- located more down in Southern California. Okay. So okay. We, we do got to travel to go get those, but it's something that we all love to do. If you enjoy abalone diving, you love lobster diving because you're diving in the same kind of habitat, the same structure, except your prey moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- these, ab- yeah. these ab, when you find them, are you, are you finding clumps of them? Will you find 10, 20, 30 of them, one or two? How does it work? It, it de- depends in the areas. I, I've dove areas where they're literally stacked on top of each other, like if you took a bag of popcorn and threw it up in the air and let them fall on the floor. And yeah. I've dove other areas where I've dove for an hour or two, didn't see abalone, but when I did come across one, it was – gigantically big well over 10 inches yeah right. um you know the, the bigger ones don't tend to be intermixed with the bigger populations but like everything there's always that one exception to the rule you you know yeah but typically the bigger populations have abs that tend to range from like five to about nine inches and then when you start getting into the other areas less populated less pressure that's when you start getting into the big trophy abalone Mm. Yeah, right. yeah in, New Z- in New Zealand we chase them a little bit because uh, I'm from there originally and uh, but a big abalone in New Zealand's kind of five inches so they're nowhere near as big as the horse things you get over there but they call them <laughs> they call them power in New Zealand and I remember kind of like you if you you can grab them and pull them off by hand if you get them fast enough otherwise you've got to stick a knife in and kind of work them off is that kind of the way they work over there as well yeah, occasionally if you get them out feeding out in the open, you find one that's kind of slipping, being lazy, you can get them with your hand. But typically we use what we have a, a, called an abalone iron. We're not allowed to use a knife. Once again, going back to California regulations, they even have regulations on what you can use to pry the abalone off the rock with. It can be okay. no thinner than an inch, I believe, wide. It has to be a sixteenth of an inch at the front and no longer than 36 inches long. And what, what's the idea behind that? Uh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was told at one time that they want you to use a pry bar with a blunt tip to prevent any cutting of the abalone because abalone are hemophiliacs and once cut uh, will die. Okay. That's what was always told to me by the old timers. Right. So it's a, it's a, to protect the abalone that you're going to essentially kill and eat. Uh, yeah and, well what it is is you have a, a lot of people that go down in our, like in our conditions it's not always the best conditions sometimes you're diving in visibility less than five foot visibility sometimes two three in mm. surge and you, you go down on a breath hold and you, you you're at the end of your breath and you just start jabbing and stabbing at that thing trying to get it off before you uh have to go up and next thing you know yeah, you're okay. blown off your spot and now that abs died right. yeah okay so if you do pry it off and maybe you even get to the surface and you find out that it's six point eight inches and not and not seven, you can you can you can put that thing back on the rock and you haven't really done it too much harm. Hopefully, exactly. But ideally they want you to measure your abalone before you remove it. Uh, that's why we have to dive with the seven inch gauge by law. Uh, it's written in the laws that you're technically supposed to measure the abalone before you remove it. So but like anything, you learn to train your eye. So you, you kind of, you know, guys use their fingers, their hands. There's all kinds of little tricks. Yeah. And it, it, you learn, just like anything, you learn what, oh, that's that's not legal, that's legal, you know. Yeah, right. And Matt, where do you, where do you find a 10-inch ab? 
<laughs> As I tell you everybody else that asks, in the ocean. <laughs> That's the so first the, place you start. <laughs> so the latitude, the latitude coordinates. Can we just? <laughs> the key to finding big abalone is it, it, it's a snail. They don't grow very fast, hmm. so you got to get to areas that don't get a lot of diving pressure. Yep. Uh, okay. the, the more remote you can get. The, the less, I mean, but then again, like I said, there's always an exception to the rule. I, I've dove spots that are heavily dove and pulled tens out of there, but it's a matter of where you're diving in these areas. Like one of my go-to spots is you have a, we have what we call rock pickers up here on low tides. They'll come out and they'll go feel on the rocks and find them on the rocks without even diving. Okay. And then you have the divers. They come out, they'll get in the water and they'll swim out to 15, 20 foot of water but you got this little section of water that's right where the break is, where the waves are breaking, where it tends to be a little bit rough, in that like five to eight foot range. Uh, that's been very successful for me. Everyone seems to, the rock pickers can't get to it. The divers swim over it. It's just kind of a overlooked spot. And uh, other tips that I tend to apply to my diving is uh, I dive dirty water. 90% of your divers don't want to go into dirty water. They want to go where it's calm and clear and fun. Well, that's where everybody's going. That abalone's mm. got to sit on that rock at least 20 years to get to 10 inches. So I want to go where everybody else isn't going because that thing needs to sit there 20 years. So uh, go. the less people that go there, the better chances are you're going to find that abalone that's been sitting there 20 years. Is that how old the big one is, 20 years old? Uh, yes. Uh, they, from what I've been taught, a uh, 10-inch abalone is anywhere from 10 to 30 years old or 20 to oh, 30 years old. Wow. And Wow. How upset are you going to be, Matt, when you see everybody now in that zone after the Noob Spiro podcast <laughs> goes live? <laughs> oh, I don't. I, I've done uh, write-ups, you know, and for a couple of magazines like Spearing Magazine, Ultimate Spearing Magazine, uh, how to find those things. Uh, I'm not real selfish about it. I'm, I'm tight-lipped with some of my spots, but I want to see the sport grow. Uh Seeing somebody else achieve something is just as satisfying as myself getting something. That, that's part of the sport, you know, seeing others grow into it. It's not just about what you do. It's what others are doing as well. Mm. With, the, with the shells, they're such an amazing shell after you've kind of cleaned them up. Um, uh, in New Zealand, there's a, uh, there's a service now where you can send your ab, ab shells off. And they'll polish them up for you and send them back. I think it's like five bucks a shell or something like that. It's, it does not cost much at all. But they come back and they look awesome. Is there any way to tell how old they are from looking at the shell? Um, not that I know of. I've heard of uh, people saying you can count the growth rings inside like a tree. But they, uh, then again, I've heard that's not true. Uh, as far as I know, there's no exact science to it. Okay. Um, but here, as far as cleaning up the shells, what, like you were saying, what the guys do here typically is we'll clean them up ourselves. We'll get the dental picks, the wire brushes, uh, muriatic acid, and pour it on it and clean them up and make them real nice, bright red. And then some of us, like myself, with some of my bigger ones, uh, there's a guy in Fort Bragg, Ed Moore, and another name, a guy named Paul Geary at Wildlife Studios. They'll actually, if you send them your shell, they'll actually make up a wildlife scene like the rock, put the abalone where it looks like a live abalone with the black foot around it and little tentacles coming out. Uh, okay. guys get real creative with these things yeah yeah cool cool so how do you clean them up you said um a, a wire brush and what was the acid uh everyone's got their own little technique i do the wire brush and then i take muriatic acid it's a like a pool concrete cleaner and then okay. uh i make sure to wear a respirator and do it outside because it is a caustic nasty acid and i just pour it over the shell and it'll bubble and foam for about 35 40 seconds spray it off with the hose and then I'll do it, you know, each shell is a little different. Sometimes just one application does it. Other times it's taken three or four. But then you can get this real nice, just brilliant red, pure red, or the mother of pearl will pop out of it. It, it yeah, just yeah. really cleans them up nice. Yeah, cool, cool. All right, awesome. Awesome. Might have to give that a crack. Okay, and so, Turbo, you're going to cook me some abalone up next time I come back to Australia? Uh, well, we'd have to go to the southern half of the state for that. <laughs> you guys need to fly out here to California so I can oh, take that... you out on the Zodiac. I've got oh, a nice 18-foot we... Zodiac, rigid, take you out right. to some good spots and put you on some nice trophy abalone. Oh, we're the in, good spots. We're in. Sign me up. 
Just let me know when you're coming. I, <laughs> I like to take out-of-towners out. I want oh, you to awesome. find a spot where there's a, an 8-inch one for turbo and then just take me to the spot where there's a 10-inch or whatever. So <laughs> that'll be good. So what we'll do is we'll go to the first spot where the eights are. Let him t- uh, limit yeah. out. Then we'll move to the big spot. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Man. That's what I'll say. <laughs> and we'll tell him the first spot's the big spot the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is my best spot, guys. Yeah. Um, As I'm winking to you. <laughs> do they do they taste better the smaller ones? Is it does, is it like a like you know some fish don't taste as good the bigger they get or? No, to me it's. Uh, the key to me is keeping fresh water off of it as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, I was always taught by an old salt that if you pull something out of the ocean, the last thing you want to do is put fresh water on it. It mm-hmm. takes away from that salty environment. And that salt, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Something in the ocean that lives in a salt environment yeah. don't want to have fresh water on it. Yeah, that, some guys say that with fish fillets too. Before they freeze them, they take a bucket of the water where the fish comes from. and they To clean the fillets up, they rinse them in salt water and then bag yeah. them. That's just what, what, what an old salt taught me, and uh, I kind of believe it to be true. Myself, I tend to uh, just try to keep it cool, mm-hmm. uh, away from fresh water. Fresh water will kill it instantly and just kind of give it a icky taste. Yep. Um, once once I get it home, first thing I do is uh, put in a couple of fr- uh, two-gallon freezer bag and throw it in the deep freezer, mm-hmm. unless I'm making it that night. And you can freeze these things and keep them good for up to, I've done it up to three, four months. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm I'm pretty much done with Abs Turbo. You got anything else? No, that's that's it for me. No, no parting tips for um, Abs, or we covered everything, Matt. A couple of keys is dive with a float line. All right. Dive with a, a flashlight. Those are some of the biggest tools I've seen evolve into the sport of abalone diving. Uh, there's nothing like when you find that big ab at the end of your breath, which is always Murphy's Law. Just like the fish, you see it right at the end of the breath as you're starting your ascent. You can drop your iron that's attached to your float line and mark that spot. And the other yeah. one is the flashlight for looking deep in holes. Uh, 50% of your divers are just looking on the outside of the rocks. Uh, the big boy is going to be sitting inside. He didn't get big by sitting out front waiting to get taken. So okay. that's where that little flashlight comes in. Look in those deep cracks and holes that you can't see. Okay. Cool. And the other one is uh, diving the uh, seagrass. A lot of people don't have patience for it, so therefore a lot of things sit in that seagrass and stay hidden. You wait for the surge to move it just right, and you'll find the cracks in the rocks, and you'll be rewarded sometimes. All right, Ah, cool, cool, cool. Good little tips there, sneaky ones. Quite often when you're diving in New Zealand, you find um, abalone shells all broken up and munched in front of the, um, you know, we call lobsters crayfish in New Zealand, and... uh, they they will predate upon the abalone in New Zealand, so it's kind. Of, I was, that was kind of where I was going with my question earlier. So interesting to hear how it's slightly different over there. I can only imagine how good your lobsters taste if they're eating abalone. <laughs> oh, they, <laughs> taste, they taste good. They call them the they call them the rats of the sea. So they, we they call just, them cockroaches over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they behave remarkably similar, I think, but they taste much better, I think. Turbo, what do cockroaches taste like? Sometimes it's time to spend some money on yourself. And there's nothing like a new spear gun. That's right. Head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a big range of spear guns. Get tempted and read the customer reviews and really sort of have a look at what they've got to offer. Turbo and I love the Manny Sub roller guns. You can buy them at spearfishing.com.au. Go in and check out the spear guns. If you do decide to buy something, pump in the code NEWSPEAR. Check out and save $20 on every purchase over $200. If you do have problems, they have a hassle-free returns policy, cheap shipping rate worldwide, and a price beat guarantee for Australia. You can also check out the stores in Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne and get help from more than 40 underwater experts. Online they also have live help. You can talk to people online and ask any questions you might have about products. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a huge range of spear guns. Chances are if you're listening to the Noob Spiro podcast you love hearing other people's adventures, stories, tips and techniques and what they have learned from around the world. Now, Spearing Magazine, Noob Spiro's partner, have got the best spearfishing magazine in the world, and it is jam-packed with stories from all over the globe. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, you can buy yourself a subscription to the magazine and get a free hat or long-sleeve shirt. That's spearingmag.com.
next part of the show is the funniest thing. What's the funniest thing you've seen out spearfishing? Oh, I've seen a couple funny things. Uh, one was myself. I was out diving one day, and I'd shot a couple of fish, and I used to carry a belt stringer where I'd just shoot a fish and put it on my stringer and hang, off, hang them off my back and continue diving. One day I was on the surface breathing up about, I don't know, a couple hundred yards offshore on the reef, and next thing you know, I'm going sideways through the water. Little did I know it was a seal, but here I'm thinking I'm getting hit by the great white shark, <laughs> just starting to panic, <laughs> flip out. And by the time I realized what happened, I look over at my buddies and they're pointing and laughing at me and laughing and laughing. And <laughs> yeah, so that was one of them. And then the other one was uh, watching my buddy strip down, proceed to, uh, he had one of those uh, old poo moments, I guess you could call it. <laughs> and we were offshore at uh, San Clemente Island on the kayaks, and I'm watching him strip down and jump off in the water, and next thing you know, here comes four or five kayak fishermen coming over to try to be the good waterman and help out the guy that fell in the water. And Boy, did they get rewarded with a nice scene. <laughs> code, code Brown. <laughs> yeah, they came over for a code red and they got a code brown. <laughs> oh, bless them. That's good. <laughs> oh, no. So those were probably some of my more humorous moments. That is a good one. That would that would be a red-faced moment, that's for sure. Uh, fucking poor old fisherman. They deserve it. All right, last last part of the show, Matt. See a uh, faster-paced round of questions. It's uh, Spiro Q&A. It's Turbo's, Turbo's favorite part of the show. Turbo, fire away, buddy. Oh, I could. Oh well, geez, these are. I can't stand these questions. Anyway, who who has been the most? There's a couple in here. They're just absolutely. Have a listen to this for us. Matt, could you describe what the spear fishing experience means to you in just a one sentence? In one sentence. <laughs> God, I love the animation behind that. Yeah. <laughs> um, to me, it's all about happiness. It's it's. Going to church, it's being Zen, I guess. I don't mean to sound corny, but that's what it is. That's why the question's in there, buddy, oh, to get a good God, corny answer out of here. You give it good stuff. You got very deep. Oh, my. All right. Um, <clears throat> so we just went from crapping yourself on a kayak to that question. That's an incredible change of pace. All right. Oh, yeah. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, a diver could take it there. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Uh, here's another good one. Um, if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? No regrets, man. What? What would I do differently? I would have looked into getting instruction, professional instruction, sooner than I did in my dive career. You just would have would have made okay. you a better diver quicker. That's that's what that's all about. That, and it would have made me a safer diver. I would have understand better and been able to perform better, whether it be getting a, taking a free diving class or even finding a mentor, some who, someone who was a, an experienced diver, uh, spear fisherman. Not, not to say that my father wasn't a good diver. He was one of the best abalone divers I know, but he wasn't a Spiro. And mm. I think where that would be my biggest tip to anybody is get a mentor, or take some professional training. Yeah, nice. Okay, one. cool. I've got to give you another one. Uh, These questions are too good to be true. During your thirty years in the ocean, what's the single big, biggest lesson you've learned? That's how you meant to ask the questions, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, biggest lesson I've learned is uh, it's kind of two of them. It would be dive within your limits and don't panic. No matter what the situation is, don't panic. All right, cool. If you could, I love these. If you could go back in time to when you were just starting spearfishing and give yourself some advice, what would you say to yourself? Um, get rid of the scuba Farmer John suit and the scuba split fins. <laughs> yep. And get into an open cell suit and get the proper gear. Get the right gear. <laughs> All right. Last, last, last question, Matt. Who is the single best person you like to go spearfishing with and why? Uh, that would have to be my buddy Jason O'Donnell. One, he was one of the guys that really started pushing me and helping me with my spearfishing aspect of my diving. And the guy's just a crack up. I mean, you, you never know what you're going to get with the guy, whether it's going to be a, a, a punch in the shoulder or a 
uh, hey, look at this, and you're getting to see some part of his body you really don't want to see. Or <laughs> 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 you know, the bubble. Hey, I got bubble gum on my jacket, you know, kind of thing. But he, he, he makes things fun. And whether it's the sh- shitty ocean conditions and we're just staying at camp, horse playing, talking around the campfire, or out there just shooting big fish, it, he makes my dives fun. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, I, will, I just wanted to quickly backtrack. Um, what's in your dive bag? Have you got any different equipment that you recommend? You've talked a lot about torches today, and uh, and you use a weight on the bottom of your float, or do you use it like a mini anchor? Uh, what I do is I've taken my abalone iron. Uh, depends one of two ways I do it. I'll either attach my spear gun to my float line. That way I can use the spear gun, leave it, wedge it in the rocks, and use that as a marker. Yep. If I'm just strictly abalone diving, I've attached my abalone iron to the float line. That mm. way I can just, same like you are saying, just mark the holes. Mm. Uh, the other things I carry in my gear bag, it's two flashlights. Um, if you're out for a long day, batteries wear out, nothing worse in your dive than a than a going dead on a flashlight and not having one to look in the holes. It's going to bug you all day. Mm. Um, another one right. I keep in my dive bag is water. Stay hydrated. Okay. Um, one one last gear question. You do a lot of shore diving, jumping in off jagged rocks and so on. What booties are you wearing? Uh, we I wear a five mil dive sock here, but what I tend to do is uh, when I do a shore dive is uh, wear tennis shoes or some sort of sandal down to the beach before I jump in. But I got to be honest here. Recently, in the last couple of years, I've become a boat baby. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is why you got the Zodiac. So uh, that that. That'd be handy. Yeah, but I did my fair share of long hikes. I mean, some of our dive spots are a better part of a hour hike in up a, uh, up and down hills that are 45 degrees, uh, down sandy beaches. Uh, we, we, we've done it all up here. Yeah, nice. All right, so um, where can our listeners come and find you? Uh, Matt, you're at um, underwater, North, North Cal, underwaterhunters.com. Uh, yeah. Nor- NorCal. NorCalUnderwaterHunters.com. Uh, Where you can else find you? me on Facebook. It was my name, Matt Madison. I'm on Instagram at, uh, at Matt Madison. Uh, okay. And that's about it. Can you can you send me a picture through of your the iron you use for ab diving? I might, um, or even just a photo of your setup, and I'll include that in the show notes for everyone. To Absolutely. I can do that first thing in the morning for you. All right. Awesome, man. No worries. Well, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Matt. I really appreciate you um, chatting with us on a Sunday night over there, and uh, it's been a really good chat. Oh, yes, it has. I enjoy talking to you. You guys are a blast. Uh, the banter back and forth <laughs> is just like here back home. Uh, like I said, you guys, yeah. guys ever make it out here, I'd really love to take you guys out diving. Awesome, oh, awesome. Mate, we'd love to come over. Well, thanks, Matt. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you got something out of it. I certainly did. And uh, if that fishery's ever opened again, I'm getting straight in there and I'm going to use all of Matt's uh, advice to get myself a big horse abalone. Now, thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. And uh, definitely uh, really sorry to hear that that, uh, the abalone fishery, the the recreational fisheries, been closed. It's it's a very sad state. And, you know, if the fish, if the abalone need to recover let's hope they do and uh if not let's hope they open that fishery back up so um let's uh fingers crossed for matt and all the other norcal uh underwater hunters up there uh all the best for the 2019 season uh that's a long way but anyways okay what's not a long way is our next episode oh, crack a segue uh and that is oh, over in uh, south africa with a good man named chris dillon now, Chris is a, uh, he's keen as mustard, Spiro. He took it up a little bit later in life, but he was fortunate enough to get around some fantastic South African Spiros. And we talk about just how he improved out of sight by being with those really good Spiros. And you do see it. You do see guys that stick together and they're all average divers and they sort of stay that way. And then you see other guys that tag along with a, with a, with deeper divers, better hunters, and you just sort of pick that stuff up. And that's the uh, benefit of getting a, uh, a really, really good mentor. And, uh, and Chris was lucky enough to do that. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in his episode and, uh, and some of those mentors he got along the way. He shares a lot of his tips, great beginner tips for guys starting out and how to really improve and improve quickly. He talks about Ascension Island. He talks about shooting big tuna, like it's exciting stuff. And he's quite honest about it as well, you know, like 
He doesn't build it out to be more than it is, but uh, it does sound like a lot, a lot of fun. And I think you're really going to enjoy that episode. So a big thanks to Chris. Can't wait to hear that episode. And guys... Thanks for tuning in. For those that tune in every fortnight, you guys that send us uh, emails telling us we're doing the right thing, telling us we're doing the wrong thing, we love that. Like, it's uh, It takes a lot of time to put these together, and we really appreciate your support. So a big thank you to you out there listening. Any questions, any advice, always shoot them through. Shrek at noobspiro.com uh, and turbo at noobspiro.com. Um, that's how you can reach us. All the best, guys. Dive safe, never dive alone, and we'll talk to you in a fortnight's time. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Get a couple of books that Turbo and I are both like. The Tim Ferriss books, uh, Four Hour Work Week and The Four Hour Body are both available. I also like the look of uh, Undisputed Truth by Mike Tyson. Uh, check that out at audibletrial.com forward slash noobsbureau. Guys, today's show is brought to you by our brand new ebook available on Amazon Turbo. What's the thing called again? It's called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Why is it called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing? Because it's got 99 tips in there to help you get better at spearfishing. I thought you said there was way more than 99. Well, there's 99 official tips, but each tip can be broken down into several tips. So it's like tips and tips and... Oh, it's tips on tips. A multiplication of oh, tips. Mate. Just actionable information. Oh, you can put it straight into action. That's awesome. the best thing about it. It should have been tips. called 99 Actionable Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Oh. But because we we're paying per letter on the cover, we just got the 99 <laughs> tips to get better at spearfishing. All right, guys, available on Amazon.com. Thanks for joining us today on the Noob Spiro podcast. <laughs> <laughs>